sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20 The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. A happy Valentine's Day to all of you cherished listeners and blessings everybody out there. It's good to come to you on Valentine's Day, which many Christians have wondered whether it's a pagan festival and whether it glorifies God. I just want to share with you Romans 14, reading from verse 5. One man esteems one day as better than another, while another man esteems all days alike. That is sacred. Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. Verse 7, none of us lives to himself but to the Lord, and none of us dies to himself but to the Lord. Beloved in Christ, every day is a gift from God. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I think the catchphrase is that none of us lives for himself, and whatever we do, we do it unto the Lord. So if we as Christians decide to celebrate Valentine's Day, it should be us unto the Lord. So I just pray that today, being Valentine's Day, marriages will be healed in love. Relationships will be healed in love. Um, colleagues will be walking in love towards each other. Church members will be walking in love towards each other and towards their pastors that the reason why Jesus came will be fulfilled. The Bible says God is love. God's definition of love is not sex and ending. God's definition of love is not passion and ending. It could be any of these things, but in the right context. So I wish to wish you a blessed Valentine's Day, a holy Valentine's Day, and a Valentine's Day that brings the kingdom of God here on earth. Be blessed and celebrate it in Holy Ghost style. Amen. I want to speak to you about love redefined. Love redefined. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Most of us know it as a poem or as a rhyme. But sometimes when it comes to living it, we want to say that it's another verse. It's not that verse. Amen, somebody. First Corinthians chapter 13. Are you there? First Corinthians is not in the New Testament. 
Alright? We'll just read generally, but I'll just speak about an aspect of it because of limited time. I'm reading from Amplified, but you can read from anywhere else. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Love is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. And it is not rude and mannerly and does not act unbecomingly. And here's the one I'm looking for. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. Amen. Love, and Amplified says, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way because it is not self-seeking. Amen. King James says, love seeketh not her own. The Message Bible says, love doesn't fly off the handle. So, what are some of the reasons why we sometimes insist on our own way. You see, the definition of God's love really comes out in the context of relationships, be it friendship, be it family life with parents, be it husband and wife. It is only in the context of marriage that it will occur to you what the definition of love is. Because when you are beloved, your definition of love may be different. Amen? Amen? And your definition of love will be that whatever I tell my husband, he will do. How many of you used to think so? Whatever you say, oh, this thing hurts me, then he will stop. Oh, I like this, then he will do it more. Oh, when this happens, I'll say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll never do that. You know, so sometimes when issues come up, then you see the differences between you and your perspective. And it isn't that the other fellow is more sinful than you. But as human beings, as husband and wife, we are very different. And sometimes two of you can be right. Amen. But the reason why you always insist on your own way is because we have this air or mind of superiority. And we often think that our views are more superior. So when I was reading the Bible, I said, love is not boastful, arrogant, or proud. I used to say, but what does that have to do with love? It has a lot to do with love. Because often, you insist on your own rights because you are proud. And you insist on your way because you feel you are right. You see, a few days ago, my cousin called me and I said, I have a present from one of our aunties for you. So pass by and collect it. I'd seen her in the morning, but I had left. So I said, pass by and collect it. She said, oh, okay. Later in the day, she called me that, oh, I'm standing at the Kodesh and you are not here. I said, but I didn't mean the Kodesh. I meant that I'm home. 
So pass by. But you saw me leave. And she said, but you said, pass by here. And get it. So where exactly? And I said to her, you see, this is what brings misunderstanding in marriage. We are both right. When I said here, I was at home. And I thought that because you saw me go, you will understand. But you also felt here. It means she came back to the office where I met her. So maybe she means here. So both of us are right. Amen. And then she started laughing. She said, it's true. One would have said that. But you said here. And I saw you going. How was I to know that here? Unnecessary quarrels. Love. God's love does not insist on its own way. But what is the cardinal thing that tempts us to insist on our own way? It's especially when we see that this way that this person is going, whether it's husband, whether it's spouse, whether it's ministry, but we, we see that it is not the right way. And we say, Lady Reverend, I can see. I can see that it won't end well. I can see that where he is, it's not right. But when I'm telling him to, he's not listening. You are no different from God. God has also been telling you a lot of things. And you have not been listening. But you see, when we look at ourselves, we look at ourselves through rose glasses, rose-colored glasses. And when we look at other people, we look at them through magnifying glasses. So we magnify their faults. And sometimes as a wife, you know, the Bible says that you are helpmeet. And you can see that this thing, this is how it's going to end. Amen? Amen? Unfortunately, whether it's liked or not, because we led Adam the wrong way, it has been put on us as a tag forever. <laughs> and because Sarah also suggested to Abraham that, you know, I'm not giving birth, but I, I have a higher way that I can suggest to you. She said that go into Hagar and then let her give birth and then the child will be on my knees. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of the child. It's like a way of solving. You know, so I have learned that even though you feel that you are offering rights, pause a bit and have a spirit of humility and say, I think I'm right, but I may be wrong some way. That will let you be a little more humble in pushing for something to be done in your way and at your time, and by your method, by all means, and by all ways. Amen, somebody. Now I want you to turn with me to Matthew 27. A woman who told her husband not to do something, and who was right, and what should she do in a situation like that? When we read from verse 17, so when they had assembled for this purpose, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to set free for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was because of envy that they had handed him over to him. The first point is that Pilate may act as if he doesn't know what to do, but he knows exactly what he should do, but he's just refusing to do what he should do, and sometimes the man in your life may be like that. Amen, ladies. <laughs> he knew that it was because of envy that they had handed him over. He knows. But he's going through the processes. He's behaving as if he doesn't, as if he has to now judge 
they have to now ask Jesus uh, what they are saying. Is it true? And are you really the son of God? And did you really say that you would destroy the temple? I mean, did you really tell them all this? But he knew the truth. And he knew that the underlying thing is that envy. But it doesn't mean he will do something about it. Verse 19. Also, while he was seated on the judgment bench, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, an upright man. For I have had a painful experience today in a dream because of him. He knows that they have delivered him for envy. There was no, no need to arraign a court. But he did because even though he knows the truth, he doesn't want to walk that way. And so we should also accept. You see, sometimes we think, oh, the person doesn't see. Or the person doesn't know. So let me draw five diagrams. Let me write, draw six graphs. A bell curve. And let me write a passage and prose to explain 35 reasons why you must not have anything to do with Jesus. But he knew. And as he sat on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that just and upright man. Have nothing. I think that if Pilate had listened to his wife, he would have been saved and we would also have been saved. Because Judas gave himself out to betray Jesus. If he hadn't given himself up, Satan would have used somebody else. So yes, prophecy will have to come true. But pray that you will not be used to fulfill the negative aspect of prophecy. It's a prayer I used to pray for many years. Say, Lord, may I be used only to fulfill the positive sides of prophecy and not the negative sides. Because Herod is used to fulfill the negative. The Bible says that. And I heard Rachel crying in Rama for her children who were not. So the children were going to be killed because of Jesus. But don't be the one for that reason. So Pilate's wife She's not part of the political setup. She's just in her house. And I believe God does speak to wives. God does speak to wives. And the way she woke up, he probably had been working all night because Jesus was tried through the night. So he didn't come home. So she said, Wow, what a dream. Oh, my husband doesn't know what he's dealing with. Let me get there and. How can I get that? There are a lot of people. There's protocol. And now he's sitting on the judgment seat. Can you imagine somebody is in court and he's seated and you've come as a wife. Hey, Kwabna, I need to discuss one or two. You can't do that. Yes, some women don't know protocol. I know of women who have gone to their husband's offices to beat them up. And to beat the secretary up. And when you do that, how can the man face his colleagues and his employees? And no man likes to be shamed, even if he's guilty. You know? I knew a pastor's wife who could hook her husband's shirt. By the time she finishes, all the buttons are, are gone. And inside the church. You know, sometimes I began to write a book called The Dilemmas of a Pastor's Wife. When, when she comes and acts as she feels, you say that she lacks self-control and the fruits of the Spirit. When she's also calm and she doesn't say anything, you say she's a hypocrite. And that she's not really showing 
the realities of her marriage. So which one should she be? It's a dilemma. Amen. So she writes the note to send to Pilate that have nothing to do with this just man. Just and upright. That's what Amplified says. So all her judgment was true. He was just. He was upright. He was being crucified for the wrong reasons. And God had given her the grace to have a dream. And in the dream, she saw the type of man he was. And she said that, look, if you touch this man, the punishment will be for generations yet unborn. Even up to today in the Apostles' Creed, we say, who suffered of Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead and buried. And in Acts, when Peter and God were preaching, they said that, and Pilate crucified him. I said, hey, they had boldness, but after betraying him, you come and stand there and say, you will say we. But it shows how forgiven they felt. Amen. She tried everything to save her husband. She tried everything to stop him from being destroyed or from being affected, you know. To him, he's still living. But the wife was seen into the realm of the spirit and she was saying, no, this is not the right thing to do. So she thought that she could intervene and that when he reads the note, it will stop him. <laughs> she didn't know that he knew already that Jesus was being crucified for the wrong things. And that is why sometimes you become a contentious and a nagging wife. Because when you say one thing, the person doesn't behave as if he understands. So he said, you see, what I'm trying to say is that, this and that and that. And when the person says, you are following him for more clearance. You see, when you go about things this way, eh, I'm trying to say that. From the first sentence, he knew what you were saying. He's just not ready to change now. And you cannot be a personal Holy Ghost in the person's life. And then you talk and talk and talk and talk. The Bible says, the continual dripping on the roof is like, that's how a contentious woman is. That's why I'm saying, you go and draw a diagram. You say, do you see? He said, I don't see. I don't care. Then you go and draw a graph. You say, look, then now you bring drama to illustrate. Then you bring a film to illustrate. Then you go and do analysis. You bring statistics, random sampling. You have now become everything and still. It is as it is. Because just as the leopard cannot change his skin, his spots, not the Ethiopian, his skin, you cannot change anything. So she does her part. But still, what she was hoping that would happen does not happen. Love does its part. Love can insist a bit, but it cannot always insist. Sometimes in insisting too much, you even destroy what you have already. You have something and then there's a small area that you feel that, no, this area must be dealt with. But you put that all the good aside and then you concentrate on this 5%. And that 5% becomes toxic and it erodes everything else that you ever had. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Love does not insist on its own way. One of my aunties was given um, 
a speech at a marriage. You know, they say come and counsel people and all that. And she told me that, she told me not before this speech that she gave, she told me that she, she has been married about four or five times. And the first time she married a man younger than her, it didn't work. Then she married one her own age, it didn't work. Then she married one far older, it didn't work. So she said to me, look, it's not all these things. She, she, she said, living example that is not all these things. It's something else. And I said, it probably is the word of God, which you didn't have. So you were trying this, trying this, trying this, trying this, but it didn't work. Said, uh, well, maybe. But when she was giving a speech at this program, she said that the modern girls that have come, when they are marrying, they come into the marriage with two right hands. I didn't understand. So she said that they lift it up and they say, we know our rights. Do you get the joke? We don't have a left hand anymore. We know our rights. So we have two rights. And we have two right hands. And we insist on our rights. But the Bible is saying that love does not insist on its own way. And the reason why it is frustrating to walk in this aspect of love is because Sometimes the consequences affect you also. And that's the mystery of marriage. The Bible says, the two shall be joined and they shall be one flesh. So sometimes you wish that, okay, you take this decision and the consequences are with you. But you will be sitting here somewhere and they say, Madam, you are under arrest. Your husband came to borrow money. They say, hey, how do I come in? So the company is registered and you are also a co-director. Amen. So turn to the person next to you and say, you are a co-director in the marriage. Amen. And when you look at the story of Sarah, you know, she also sought to go her own way. When she advised Abraham that don't, um, don't let Ishmael continue to live with us. Amen. And the Bible says that the saying displeased Abraham. But the reasons were different. The reasons were different. You are listening to Honey on My Lips with Lady Reverend Adelaide Lord Mills. Stay tuned in. Welcome back. So Abraham did not mind Sarah at all. It's like, how dare he talk about what he should do? So the Bible says that Abraham didn't listen to Sarah. And we can see that passage in Genesis 21. Are we there? Verse 10. Well, let's read from verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. This one is not imagination. She saw Philly Philly. They are having an outdooring. Isaac has been weaned. And everybody is happy. Isaac has been named Isaac, which means laughter. And Ishmael literally lifts the name. 
So Sarah sees Ishmael standing afar off. And he's laughing. Hey, 90-something. She can't even hold the baby. Look at how her breasts are. How is she going to breastfeed now? Hey, they are trying to be parents. Ah! The Bible says Sarah saw. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. When we are also sharing our concerns, we add things we should not add. She has a name. She's called Hagar. But because she's boring you so much, something is filling you. Say, cast out that, that, that girl. Now she doesn't have a name. She's a slave woman. Cast out that slave woman. No, sir, no. Amen. Cast out that slave woman. With her son. The son also has a name. You see, we have a way of putting things. And then when they ask, I will say, oh, but I just said, you didn't just, you see, the feelings, the body language, the facial expression, the way you would do, the raising of the eyebrows, is all part of the message. Amen, ladies? For the son of this slave woman, shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Your son has a name. But the others there, they don't have a name. My son Isaac. And the Bible says, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. So Abraham is not really looking for the truth. He is looking for the ease or difficulty in the situation, not the truth. So yes, Ishmael laughed, and so what? She laughed, but my son is my son. He laughed, but my son is my son. The Bible says it displeased. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Verse 12. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. He had a double interest. Amen? He felt that this is the mother of this my son. And my son is also a part of me. So you may say this slave woman and this slave woman and then her son. But the son is my seed. And you don't know that I've even secretly prayed to God. When God was saying, oh Abraham, I'll give you a son. He felt that, look, this is what I will get. So he said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, well, as for the prayer I've heard, but my covenant is still with Isaac. Because there are many things within Abraham that he doesn't share with you. So you should always approach with a bit of caution. Because you, you, we assume that we know everything, we see everything, and we can judge everything. It's not like that. Amen? Amen. But God came to Abraham himself. God came to Abraham himself and said that you must let them go. Yes, the saying has displeased Abraham. And he has made up his mind. He will never listen to what Sarah is saying. And you can't accept that 
he has decided within himself, without sharing it with you. That's why you are talking a lot. If he just told you that, I've decided that I won't listen, then you will shut up. But he has not shared with you, which is a very male trait, that I don't share with you what I'm going to do, but I live within myself and I know what I'm going to do. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Wow. King James says, hearken unto the voice of Sarah, your wife. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Amen. I submit that the difference between Pontius Pilate's wife and Sarah was that Sarah was a believing woman and had probably gone to God in prayer with it. Pontius Pilate's wife did not know God. Therefore, she could not call upon any divine intervention. It was just by might. It was by power. But by his spirit was not there. Amen. Amen. And that is one of the cogent reasons why you should be a praying woman. When the Bible says it's not by might nor by power, you think that it's other things that are not by might. Maybe healing and preaching and... But everything in your life, in your relationship, is not by might. And it's not by power. Even to be a good wife. You may be a godly wife according to scripture, according to this, but your mind may still not work. Some people go to great lengths. They do all that they know to do. So except the Lord intervenes. So I think the ladies should pray for God's favor. Because the Bible talks about the favor of the Lord. It causes even your enemies to be at peace with you. So it's a good thing to pray. And it's something that, it's a word, it's a verse. So you just stand and say, Lord, I want your kind of favor. The one that causes even my enemies, even those who don't like me, to be at peace with me. Amen. Amen. Now, look at the difference between God's explanation and Sarah's explanation. God said, do whatever Sarah tells you. Because through Isaac shall my offspring be. That's all. But Sarah's own is my son and her son and the slave woman. And they will not be together. This is my heir. And this is, you see, God's explanation. God comes straight forward. And says, oh, listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because in Isaac shall my seed be. The difference between how God says things and how you say things is, is more than a see. Amen, somebody. So in this case, Sarah did not insist on her rights. She left it to God. But she didn't also keep quiet and say, Oh, nothing is happening. Oh, when I see Isaac laughing, I will say that he is normal. When I seek Isaac laughing, I will explain it another way. Then that's also lying. So we must see the truth for what it is. The truth is that Isaac was mocking. Ishmael, sorry. And the truth is that Ishmael is some way. And the truth is that Hagar is also some way. And the truth is that you started all this mess. But as women, we forget sometimes the genesis of things. So I said, look, at, look at how she has come on top. Even when I call her, even the attitude she will have, look at her. 
Some of you complain so much about your household. Look at how she's done. Look at her face. Look at her this. Look at, but the reality is that you have relegated all your wifely duties to her. It, if it, duties to her. If it were not that God said, thou shalt not commit adultery, you would have even delegated that one too. Amen, ladies. So the way you delegate everything to her, and she's always in your bedroom, laying the bed, one day she will lie on it. From all the pastoral things I've dealt with, it's true. One lady came, I found a job for her, and then later she came to me, I want to leave. She said, somebody's home. I want to leave. I said, why? I was just dusting the place, and then I forgot and I fell asleep on her bed. When she came, she said that, why am I sleeping there? But actually, I forgot. I said, I don't believe you forgot. Once my mean, it's true, it's true, I forgot. But I mean, if that's how she feels, I'm going. So then I spoke to the madam. And I said, well, sounds like a cock and bull story, but you give her another chance and then let's see. The other chance didn't come. Then the lady came to me. I said, I mean, I want to leave. The man, he's always making passes at me. I said, uh-huh, that's why you went to sleep on that bed. <laughs> that is why. So then I said to her, go, go and tell your madam, you are leaving now, 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 now. So when she asked me, what should I say? I said, just say, I want to leave. I can't be here. So then the madam came to church and saw me. This girl, she has just come suddenly. Nothing has happened. She said, she's going. She's this. She's that. I said, mm, so just let her go. <laughs> oh, just let her go. Then, years later, maybe about six or seven years later, the madam called me. I said, is this what was happening in my house and you never told me? I said, I felt I had dealt with a problem. And therefore, I didn't also want to break your marriage because the way things were, it was already brittle for me to come and say this. And she was quiet on the other end of the phone. And she said, thank you anyway. But I'm saying that when you also delegate everything, you don't serve your husband anymore. You don't sit by him when he's eating anymore. You see, we don't plan to be some way often. But things change without your knowing. So the way that Sarah is putting it is different from the way God is putting it. So sometimes also the reason why you are not listened to, your counsel, whatever, is the way. The way, the method. The Bible says a word fitly spoken. It's like apples of gold in pictures of silver. And when it's fitly spoken, it's about timing. It's about method. And it's about setting. Some of you, you correct in the midst of people. The man is a pastor. The man is a politician. The man is somebody of public office. And that's when you come and you face him publicly. He calls you, you don't mind him in the church. You say, what you did before now, you are, you are coming to talk to me. <laughs> when you come to church in the morning, you decide that today I will not be blessed. In the preaching, I will not be blessed. So when they say, okay, so the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. He said, Can you, have you been controlling yourself in the house? <laughs> self-control. 
So we don't have behaviors, manners, and attitudes and words that encourage and foster change. We don't have that. So may the Lord help us. When, like Sarah, you share something and the person cannot see. Sometimes even your dad, whoever, the person cannot see. The person cannot agree. It displeases the person. The Bible says because of his son. But he can't share it with you that, you know. I think that sometimes the brothers, they don't even understand what is happening to them. To be able to verbalize it. They just know that I'm displeased, therefore I won't do it. So the Bible says, displeased Abraham. He's displeased so that you won't do it. But the Bible says because of his son. Because Ishmael is equally his son as Isaac is his son. But isn't God a good and kind God? He just takes our issues upon himself. And he goes to Abraham when he's alone. He says, you know something? It's true that Sarah led you to Hagar, but it doesn't mean everything she says is wrong. And it's true that Sarah led you to Hagar, but it doesn't mean she's a bad wife and she will always give good, uh, bad counsel. Yes, she did the wrong thing in the weakest of her moments. I mean, I always wonder, why did you, God, you've come to talk plenty. Why don't you say, Abraham, just let the boy go. But listen to Sarah, your wife. All this plenty talking, you could have said it directly to Abraham. Abraham, just send Ishmael away and send Hagar away. But you say, listen to Sarah, your wife. Actually, King James, I think, says, listen to the voice of Sarah, your wife. So the first time you listened to her voice, it created a Hagar, which we are living with up to today. But God sees beyond our faults. And he calls those things which be not as though they were. He's a God of many chances. Amen, somebody. And I'll make a nation of the son of the slave woman also. Because he's your offspring. You see, God takes into consideration the interests of the other party. But you don't. That's why you insist on your own way. You don't care how the other party feels. You don't care what his beef is. I feel this way and my way is supreme. But God says, a blessed Ishmael. Also, because he's your offspring. Amen. Amen. Sarah will not consider that. If we really want to be godly, you will consider the opinion of the other person. You will consider what, where he's coming from. You will consider why it's not so easy for him to do as you are advising, as you are seeing, or as you are saying. So God says, yes, listen to Sarah, send them away, do this, but I will bless Ishmael. Because he's your so God has dealt with Abraham's issues. In, in, in giving him commandments, he has also taken care of his issues. So if you want to walk in real love and not always insist on your way, you must also look at the issues of the other party. You must consider the issues of the other party. But you feel that he has no, no business saying what he's saying. But it's not always so. Because the Bible told us clearly it is pleased because of the son. So God says, yes, listen to Sarah, your wife. Do this, do this, do this. But then this concern that you have, I have taken care of that also. You take care of the concern of your husband or it's just your way. 
When you see somebody who is somewhere in the church, yes, the person is somewhere. He said, this bond woman, she must go. Look at how she behaves. She must go. And he doesn't want her to go because she helps him in his work. Genuinely. So you don't care. It's like, I don't care whether the office is empty. I don't care even, even if this ministry is left with just you and I. She must go. Today. And you don't solve his concerns. How can he then come along with you on a journey like that? Amen. Amen. We need to develop that aspect of God which looks at the other person's concerns. The Bible says, count others better than yourselves. He's not talking about physically or but other people's interests. Other people's concerns. What is important to other people, which may not be important to you. Israel is not important to you. Hey, guys, not important to you, and you don't care whether they perish in the wilderness or not. They said, touch everything about a woman. But when you touch the man in her life, you have touched the live wire. Amen. Amen. This pastor's wife, that I said I knew that she would always come and cry with her husband in public. Hold his shirt to all the buttons are off. And then also when they married, she was far wealthier than him. So when she's coming to church, then she will pull his pull along. Because that's all he brought into the marriage. Bring it to the church. After church, don't come home. That's your suitcase. I've packed it. It went on for years. With the passage of time, the man went to minister somewhere. And out of stress, whatever, he knelt down to pray. And he just died. He just died. And I see the wife every time. And she'll be telling me, oh, since pastor went, it's not easy, oh. Since pastor passed. Sometimes we dig our own graves. Amen. I remember her coming up to me and telling me that God has called her to a separate ministry. I said, oh, separate in life. I mean, I, I didn't think somebody could say Separate in life. Oh! God says, you see, the anointing of my life is very unique. So, yes, he is in this city, but God has called me to another city. I said, oh, uh, so will you be commuting? Oh, commuting? No, 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 no. I've even paid rent in advance. Oh. I'm coming to start the ministry. So he should do his own. I said, ah, so is it like a branch? Oh, no, I even have a name for it. It's called this and that and that. I said, oh, it won't work. I just smiled. I said, it won't work. Don't you know? She said, oh, it will work. God, now he knows. He knows the peculiar anointing of my life. And then this, I'm always being stifled. I'm always being. So she went. Two weeks later, I saw her. I said, hey, son, I'm in ministry. We're wonderful, mo. I've come back home. It's not an easy thing. I said, but I told you. Two weeks. I said, what happened? She said, oh, I do. I called. It's not easy. I've gone back. But you've gone back not because you have repented, but you've gone back because as you insisted on your own way, it hasn't brought you to a good place. 
Amen, ladies. Rebecca did the same. She had gone to a prophet for a prophecy. She said, why? Small pregnancy, there's always a World War II in my stomach. Let me go and find out what is happening. The people of old were very spiritual. We would have said, hey, let me go and see the scan. These must be boys. They are very boisterous. <laughs> she went and inquired of the Lord that what type of children will this be? And the Bible says that God told her that two nations are in your womb. And the younger shall be saved by the older. The older shall save the younger. And she went away. Then, as time went on, she saw that it didn't look like the older was going to save the younger. So she has to find a way to sort them out. And before she could even sort them out, she could see signs in Esau that he was not going to end up well. So she also felt that, hey, I must also protect God's interest. And then my own interest. Amen. Genesis chapter 26, verse 35. Hey, we're ending soon. Let's read from 34 so that we understand. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, not the Israelite, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. He's 40 years old. You can see the way he's walking that is not going to go to a good place. And he begins by marrying two Hittites. And these people and their husbands make life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So these things happen. Before in chapter 27, Isaac calls Esau that, go into the field and get something for me that will bless you. So Rebekah says, hey, I can see that this Esau, he's not going anywhere to happen. And you are coming to pour this blessing on this Esau. And God has also said by prophecy that Esau will save Jacob. So if you bless Esau first, how will Jacob then be saved? Everything she's saying is true. Everything is saying, she has received prophecy. Everything is going contrary. And you feel justified to turn and stem the tide. But it is not your place. It is God's place. And insisting on what is right, sometimes even it's our zeal for God who makes us insist on certain things. You, Abraham, God has told you that my heir is Isaac. And yet, you are playing a game as if it's both of them. And I, Sarah, I can see that what you are doing, that's not what God said. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a good reason, religious reasons, spiritual reasons. I mean, God said, don't marry unbelievers. He has gone to marry two, Basimath and Judith. And he's making life bitter for both his parents. And then you, Isaac, your eyes are different. You are calling him to establish what he is doing. Surely God must not be in this one. And so I must insist on my own way of bringing God's promises to pass. 55 ways to help God. Amen, somebody. So the reason why love will insist sometimes on its own ways, 
what we are saying is true. What we are saying is genuine and the evidence is compelling. And in every case, when the evidence is compelling, what's up? This one is not hearsay, it's not, it's evidential. I can see I'm there, live. Eyewitness account. Amen. And we feel justified based on that to push the agenda, especially when it has a spiritual connotation. So what, what, what is the woman's role, Lady Reverend? What should she do? Yes, she should pray, but what else should she do? Should she just leave everything to go downhill? Should she just leave things to be that way? Let's see what God did. First Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned outside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice in the people, in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day. Verse 9, None then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will rule over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to him. He will take your male servants, verse 16. Verse 17, he will take the tenth of your flocks, verse 18. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Amen. Even God does not insist on his way. And God says that we are created in his image. The image of God is free will. That's why in the garden he didn't stop the serpent. Because he created us in his image. So we can choose right or wrong. We can choose heaven or hell. We can choose how we want to live our lives. Because God chooses how he wants to live. And he has extended the same thing to us. Amen. So yes, 
God knew and God had a good reason. He said, warn them that this choice they are making is not going to be the best. This is what will happen. But the Bible says the people insist. So when you are sharing what you think is right, what you think is God's way, and the person is saying, no, I still want to do this this way. What do you do? Behave like God. Warn the person about the consequences of his decision. If you do this, this will happen. I didn't say threaten. I say warn. God didn't say threaten. He said warn. So tell the person, lay the cards on the table. When you do this, this and this and this will happen. And this and this will follow. And this and this, and also the way you say it. Huh? You won't listen, eh? Me, I'm telling you, eh? Your business will come to an end. Your ministry will crash. Your this. That one is a curse more than a warning. But when you are humble yourself, and you know that this is how I feel, this is my persuasion, but I may not be 100% right, you will say things in a spirit of humility. Love does not insist on its own way. God does not insist on his own way. He said, I've never, I've never ruled you with kings. How come you want a king so much? How come? But they said no. And, and Samuel was hurt because he felt that they had rejected him. And God said, it's not about you, Samuel. It's about me. It's me that they are rejecting, not you. So go and tell them. And then he helps them in the new decision that they have made. Can you do that? In the context of marriage, can you do that? When you say, oh, suck this person, or do this, or make this one, the person doesn't do. Can you still flow with the person? God didn't agree that they should have a king, but he said, I'll still help you in the midst of your mistake to lighten your load and to choose what I think is good for you. Yes, you didn't listen to me. Yes, you didn't obey me. But I still love you in spite of your ways. And I still care about you. So even in choosing a king, I am fully involved. But most of us will say, oh, I leave you to your own devices. If you make your bed, you will lie in it. If you don't know. If you use tons to make your bed, lie in it. Don't come and tell us that. But God said, warn them. This will happen, this will happen. Don't choose this way. This and this and this will happen. But if they insist, I'm going to guide them in choosing a king. And he did. And he continued to do that for centuries. That's how a wife should behave. You don't insist on your own way. But one is also not going your way. The person is going, is not, I would just say, don't form this new company. You go back and say, I will form. They say, Me, I don't know anything about it. Though. You see, my father, he was involved in timber, transport. He was involved in timber, transport, whatever. Then, the latter part of his life, he decided that he would make a hotel. My mother was so angry. My mother said, look at you. You are 80. I said, close to 80. Are you now going to make a hotel? He had this huge building with offices, banks. He said he would do a hotel. My mother said, at this age, you are going to do a hotel. Who is going to manage it? Do you know what hotels involve? They will steal all the crockery. They will steal the towel. You have to do this. You can't be there at the... the..." They don't talk. Oh, he's there. But he knows what he could do. So the night before, my mother overheard him on the phone. Oh, yes, so the operation starts at dawn. 
And my mom said, you are not going anywhere at dawn. You are not going to start any whatever at dawn. You are not at dawn. I'm going for my prayer meeting. But you are not doing it. Oh, he didn't argue. He was just there. My mother was coming from her prayer meeting. And she saw bulldozers. Oh, they were breaking down the building. So, when she came home, she told him, Well, I told you that this age, don't do a hotel. You say you are doing. I want you to know that all the problems, let them stay there. Don't come home and say, this one didn't do this, this one didn't, I don't want to know. You are on your own, as you have decided. Many women are prophetesses. He went to the UK. He went to import towels, fixtures at this age. Then he spoke to my brothers. Oh, will any of you like to come to Ghana to do hotel management? And then my brother would say, oh, no, we are busy. But on our own, they'll say, run this man's hotel. He will never give you a free hand. <laughs> if you do this, this. If you do that, that. Then he started the hotel. My mother refused to go to the hotel. So every morning she would park her car in front if she has to speak to him. And she would say that, okay, I'll wait for him here. When he's going up, I'll speak to him. So she wouldn't, she would hardly go there. Because she was against the idea. Then he started to bring the problems. Oh, the people, they have stolen all the towels. My mother would say, you remember the agreement? Don't talk about it. Okay, I don't want to hear. And then my dad would look and say, I mean, look at what she's saying. I mean, a wife. She should not support her husband. Look at what she's saying. So if God were to behave like my mother, he would have left the hotel to his devices. So later when my father passed, and I was even asking her, oh, so the hotel, how many rooms? What did they do? Hey, when are the people up there? I have no idea. <laughs> and that is what we do as wives. We, we, it's a form of punishment. But when I look at God's example, what she could have done is, I'm going to control the stealing of the towel. You see, you, you are sitting here somewhere. And somebody has gone to bring work to you. But you don't step aside and say, I told you so. You get involved in choosing the king. You get involved in the battles with the Philistines. You get involved with all the things that are happening. Because that is God's nature. Amen. He could have said, really, you want a king? Number one, I don't even know the qualities. You find what you want. But he says, no. I've looked and I've found Saul, in whom is the Spirit of God. I'm going to use him. And then he says, you know, for Saul to really be able to be a king over my people, I have to turn him into another man. So he sends a different spirit to him. And he turns him into another man. And then he says, I'm going to anoint you. And then he anoints us, and I'm going to direct you. Go and fight the Amalekites. I'll be with you, and I'll deliver you. Go to the Philistines. I'll de- all of us would have said, eh, Philistine, if you had remained as we are, will all these Philistines and Amalekites be coming against you? Cry your own cry. But this afternoon, this morning, love is being redefined for you. Love does not insist on its own way. And even when love does not get its own way, Love still continues to love beyond itself, beyond what it said, beyond what it prophesied, beyond the discomfort that you fought. You fought the discomfort, you fought the disaster, you fought the disadvantage, but he said, I will do as I will do. You warned him, 
You showed him the pros and cons, but he still said he would do it. But I pray that as your love is redefined, you'll be like God. Amen. And you'll be involved with the person. So death you part in Jesus' name. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi. Or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.